Welcome to Curious with Josh Peck. Start the show. Welcome back to the Curious Podcast. My name is Josh Peck, and I'm your host, and your name is Listener, and that's what you do. You listen. Last week, I mentioned that I had stopped doing intros because I felt as though (laughs) people that I listen to, and I listen to the best of them, Mark Marin, WTF, I listen. Fucking armchair expert, Dak Shepard, I listen to that. I, I listen to it with animosity and resentment because I basically feel like Dax just does the same show that I do, but with better guests and more talent. But is he happy? Um, <laughs> and Joe Rogan, you know, the Johnny Carson of podcasts. I listen to all these beauties, you know, all these brilliant people, but I don't listen to their intros. I fast the hell forward through all of them. And I figured that, you know, you guys were probably doing the same. You were like, ah, Josh, he's so cute with his thoughts. He's always thinking and feeling and talking and repeating himself. Who cares? Let's listen to Chris D'Elia or, you know, John Stamos or some other A-list, you know, top-tier level person that I have on the show because we're doing well and our guest list is insane. Um, I figured you just were fast-forwarding through it and and I, w- I wouldn't have blamed you. I wouldn't have blamed you. So I posed a question to you guys, and I said, listen, if you guys want the intro, email me. Let me know, because I don't know. You know, I'm in a vacuum here. Hello? I'm in a vacuum. I'm in a fucking Hoover. I can't escape from this Dyson. No, it's not literal. I'm not in a vacuum, but you know what I'm saying. To turn a phrase, it's a saying. Anyway, I asked you guys to let me know if you want the intro or not. And can I tell you what you guys did? You beautiful fucking curious listeners whom I love so much. You guys wrote me. I'm going to fucking cry. Yo, you guys wrote me and you told me you liked the intro. And that means a lot to me. That is so nice. And I appreciate you guys engaging with me about this podcast because it's something that I really care about and I'm incredibly proud of. And it means the world to me that you guys listen. And hopefully, you know what? You know when you dig into it, you know when you're like 15 minutes into a podcast and you're like, yes, sir, this, this is it, Chet. This is the one. I'm going to listen to this one all the way through. You know what I'm saying? And then you can kind of feel around the 40-ish, 50-ish minute mark. You like can tell that there's some winding down going. You're like, no, more, please. I just want to listen and just take me away. I need some more escapism. That's what a good podcast does for me. So the idea that, you know, mine could give you any semblance of that feeling is a fucking honor. And you guys wrote me, man. Uh, Let me see. You know, Mark Marin used to read emails, or he still does, emails that he gets from listeners. And I always was like, wow, that's so, so sick. Like, hopefully one day if I'm successful, I'll be able to, you know, read an email as well. And But here I am. I'm not even that successful. And I got emails. Who do, let me, I'm going to go to the first one, okay? From Connor. Connor, my man. He writes, Josh, my man. Let me start out by saying I'm a huge fan of the pod. And in general, it gives me some time to kill at work. Just listened to your last podcast with Chris D'Elia. Great. 
But to your point about the intros and rants, I personally enjoy them. I feel like it makes your podcast a little more organic. And about you. That being said, I don't listen to them every single time, but I do listen to most of them. If I'm having a slow day at uh, work, or if I am just hooked from the start. When I see your podcast pop up with that hour and 30 minute mark, I think to myself, buggle up and get ready for the ride. Josh has got some shit to say and I'm all for it. These are my personal thoughts. I enjoy your show enough to share them. You're killing it. Keep doing your thing. So sweet. Congrats on having your... Connor, you're just a beauty. You're a mensch, as my Jewish friends would say. Man. See? Emails like that alone. I can't believe I'm still on Prozac. I just... That email is better than any pharmaceutical I've ever been prescribed since I was eight and can't seem to get off. Um, I'm just kidding. I'm not on Prozac. Or another, you know, and then I'll stop here because trust me, this isn't, uh, you know, this isn't the, wow, Josh is so fabulous party, right? Am I right? But someone wrote something pretty funny that I did want to, I did want to mention it. Okay. I can't find it. But it didn't, it meant a lot, whoever wrote it. And I'd love to, I'd love to mention it, but I, I can't even remotely find it. Basically, someone wrote me an email saying, like, hey, really love the podcast and the intros. Uh, figured you stopped doing the intros because you were just having a deep depression. Um, but anyway, keep it up, man. Really enjoy it. That's basically the gist of the email. And I was like, huh, apparently these listeners know me all too well. Um, anyway... As you can tell, we are we are into an intro. This is happening. We're back. We're back with the intros. And maybe some weeks I won't do it because, you know, I don't always have anything to say. But I do have something to say for fucking today. So, you know, for fun, my mother and I, my mother is 75 years old. You have to remember this. She was born one year before the end of the World War II. She was born a year before the end of World War II, this woman. Okay, she's seen some shit. So her and I and my sweet baby were at the mall because that's what you do when you have a kid, right? Older people love the mall. You ever? Did you know that some old people exercise in the mall? Like they go to the mall, which is usually open 24 hours a day. Who fucking knew that? And they do laps around the mall because obviously it's air conditioned. It's lovely. And who wouldn't want to walk by a Talbot 18 times, right? <laughs> Anyway, my mom and I, we go to the mall with my sweet baby child. I go, Mom, we should go check out the Tesla store because you're an older person and these cars are going to fucking blow your mind. This ain't, uh, you know, this ain't the old Studebaker you're used to. This isn't exactly a Mustang, okay? It's a car of the future. So we go in there and we're looking at the, you know, the fancy one with the doors and the wings and the fucking looks like, like Batman's mom would drop him off at school in that car. And there's this fuck, this guy that works here. I'm not going to mention his name, but he knows who he is, okay? You know who you are. You know who... I'm, all I'm going to say, I'm not going to say any specifics. He was about five foot two and had some annoying facial hair. That's all I'm saying. So we're at the Tesla store. My mother's sitting there. I know how the car fucking works. What, you don't think I have friends who own Teslas? I have friends who do great. I have very successful friends. I've, I've driven my friends' Teslas. That's how well I'm doing. I got friends who allow me to drive their expensive cars. 
So I say to this fuck, I say, excuse me, here, we've got an older person here. I don't even want to say that because my mom's going to listen to the podcast and be like, oh, you think it's funny to make fun of my age? Ah, good, ah, Captain Jokester, pretty mean-spirited. Um, sorry, Mom. My, by the way, she looks incredible for her age. But that's not the point. So I say, we have a woman here, new to the car, would you show us some features? It's a fucking car. This is what... I mean, I'm literally opening the door for any car salesman to be like, well, I'm about to make a fucking fat commish. I mean, that's all they need. They, I don't know if you've ever walked into your local Nissan dealership or fucking BMW dealership, but it's a fiending fest the moment you walk into these places. They want your business and they want to do anything they can to get it. So... I say to this guy, I say, can you show us some features? Just some highlights. He goes, well, what features are you referring to? I go, I don't fucking know. You work here. Now, granted, in my passionate retelling of this story, it's going to sound like I'm a Sebastian Maniscalco, Michael Rappaport hybrid of emotion and vulgarity and just, you know, verve. But the reality was I was actually like just a soft-spoken, sweet Jewish kid who who actually was fairly courteous until I got annoyed. But it that that don't make for good story. I say anything, show her anything. You work here, take the initiative. I'm opening the door. He goes, and you ready for this? This is what this fuck says to me. He goes, the cars sell themselves. I'm not here to show you anything in the car. Are you listening to this? Are you outraged? I'm outraged. Can you believe this fuck? The car sells itself. Um. It's a very nice car. But no, it doesn't sell itself. Not to a 75-year-old woman who might not know how to use the fucking quadruple iPad that's in the main fucking concourse. You know, I, you ever seen the screens in these Teslas? It's like, it's like a surfboard of technology. Uh, you know, I'm sorry, I'm not a 14-year-old fucking Twitch gamer who knows the ins and outs of binary code and took computer programming when I was in preschool. You know, I don't know how this car works, and my mom definitely doesn't know how this car works, and you, you fuck... That's what you're telling me? I didn't like this guy at all. Smug, disgusting attitude. And I'm like, bro, this car costs a hundred grand. And you're telling me to fuck myself. I mean, I'm going to hit. It's, they're basically Tesla's saying, give us a hundred grand and maybe we'll let you buy our car. And also fuck yourself. And listen, I, I don't mean to like cast stones because I'm a big fan of Tesla and... Elon, Elon, get get your crew together. Come get whose man's is this, Elon? Whose man's is this? At your, I don't even want to say the store because I've worked for minimum wage before, and I know what the, I haven't. I was I'm a child actor. I never worked for minimum wage, but I can imagine that it can be challenging. And I don't want to like completely fuck this guy's life up. But like Elon, whose man's is this? Get your boys. Get your crew together. 
Yes, I realize it's the car of the future. Yes, I realize that you're, like, doing some dope shit that ain't nobody else doing. But, like, can I get a little something here? Can, I mean, it's a, we're talking 100K. I'm not buying a fucking Mitsubishi Galant or a Mitsubishi Diamante. But I can assure you, at the Mitsubishi dealership, I would have been offered a coffee and a smile. And I was not offered that at the Tesla dealership. I... Okay, you ready for this? I ask this fuck. I say, excuse me, fuck. I say, um, you know, fuck. <laughs> Do you know what the maintenance is like? Like, if there's a problem, do I have to take it in? Do you guys come and get the car? Do I get a loaner? And he goes, um, I can refer you to our service department who can better answer that. So here I go, big dumb idiot fucking Josh uh, idiot guy. I start looking around. I go, oh, great. Where's the service department? He goes, it's in another city. <laughs> it's in another city. This fuck was like, yeah, you just got to drive 11 miles down the road. I said, have you lost your mind? Are you, are your faculties okay? Have you spent too much time huffing the, the electric fucking exhaust fumes from this car that has no exhaust fumes? I don't know what I just said, but like, what's wrong? Service department, I'm here with you now with money in my bank account and you want me to leave here to go talk to fucking Al at Tesla service? Are you nuts? Elon... Elon, let's do better together. Elon Musk just replied to me on Twitter. I said to him, dear Elon, can you vape in space asking for myself? And he replied. So that leads me to believe we have a connection here. I'm all about it, Elon. I supported you when you smoked weed on Joe Rogan. I'm, you know, I believe in the mission here, my boy. And believe me, I wouldn't want to smoke weed with you because you're like one of those smart cats that I'm sure fucks up other people's high. There's no doubt there. You know, he's the guy in the circle where you've like you all pulled like twenty dollars together and you bought like a dub of like some like kind of swaggy but OK weed. And you're like rolling it up and you you let your buddy who rolls like the perfect blunt do it because you don't want to fuck it up and like like let any of the weed go to waste because there's going to be 18 people hitting it. And then, like, you're passing it and then Elon hits it and he holds it and he looks at it for a while and he goes life's meaningless and you go what and he's like space is forever and you're like elon fuck what just please pass the blunt stop it I, you're fucking my shit can i just smoke stop i'm not trying to like go that deep right now like i just got off of work like my feet hurt please do we have to go this deep and I'm sorry, Elon, I'm sure you wouldn't fuck up the weed circle, but nevertheless, I just, can we just, please, I, I just, I don't know, caught me the wrong way, you know what I'm saying? And, of course, I'm like the guy who's, you know, talking shit to this kid now, and I'm like, I'm like, uh, why don't you just answer my question? And he's like, it would take me all day to answer that question. I'm like, well, let's test it, because I got the rest of the afternoon. <laughs> Anyway, um, what else? What else? You asked for an intro and here it is, fucking whether you like it or not. I'm not proud of this. Let's talk about, um, sassy fucking kids. I don't like this. I don't like this at all. You know, my friend's kids, they're lovely. Beautiful kids, beautiful family. But one of them, in particular, 
not going to name names, but she knows who she is. She's just sassy. Good kid, sweetheart, beautiful kid, talks a lot of shit. Always talking shit. You know, and we'll say some fucked up shit. Like, we'll be like, wow, you're fatter. And I'll be like, I'm going to, like, are you trying to catch these hands? Because I'll put you in a baby headlock right now. Like, that's not acceptable to say. But then everyone goes like, oh, just let her. She's finding her voice. And I'm like, well, maybe she should find some fucking respect for her elders. And I'm happy to, you know, show her what the wrath of a grown male feels like. And I promise you, she won't repeat this mistake. But no, I can't. You know what I'm saying? So, you know, she's just a sassy. And these fucking sassy kids with their sassy asses, like, yikes, that didn't sound right. But, sorry, I, you know what I meant. They're, they're just, I, I don't know what it's from, too much, you know, of these sassy-ass kids on television and these, you know, ridiculous Nickelodeon shows like mine. Um, but it was funny because the other day, this sassy seven-year-old, we're at a birthday party and my wife is there with her family and this sassy seven-year-old comes up and she's like, check this out. I got a fucking, <laughs> I got a fucking card trick. You got to see this. And I say, this is my chance. In my head, I'm thinking you're going to fucking pay. You're going to fucking pay, David Blaine. Now you're going to get your comeuppance. I'm not allowed to talk any shit to you. But now you're going to come to me with a fucking card trick, David Copperfield. This is going to suck. And I'm going to make you remember this for the rest of your life. And did it. Boy, did it suck. There was no sleight of hand. There was no proper misdirection. Her vamping sucked. She just didn't. She is not prepared. And, and listen, I'm a fat Jewish kid from New York. I'm fucking amazing at magic i'm pretty sure it's a prerequisite if you want to be overweight and i just said not good <laughs> i was like not good no and i'm like i was critiquing the trick i said yeah and she's like trying to fake me out and like waiting for me to like do the adult thing of like oh this crafty seven-year-old with her tricks i'll play along i what i didn't play along i was like why are you holding the deck like that or like she would like only go through like five cards and be like, tell me when to stop. But she would only like shuffle through five cards and I'd be like, no, no, no shuffle through the whole deck. There's 52 cards. Shuffle through it all or I'm not going to do it right. And she was flabbergasted. And the people around me, like my wife and her sister were like, yo, like, are you nuts? This kid is seven. Like, go along with the trick. And I'm like, nah, she came into my world. This is a sassy seven-year-old and she needs to know that if you're going to come with me with magic, come correct. So, I'm just saying, if you're looking for a way in which to set a young person straight, inspire them to do some magic. I don't know. <laughs> On today's show, Fortune Feimster. I love this person, this woman, this great comedian, this multi-hyphenate writer, performer, actress. She's so dope. Uh, I love getting to know her. Um, I, it's another one of my... Uh, yo, I reached out on Instagram you know, throwing a Hail Mary, hoping for the best. And she was nice enough to not only return my DM, but come to my studio and record with me. And I feel so lucky to have chatted with her. So please enjoy Fortune. Yeah, the difference between LA and New York, but I love it here. I'm a convert. Yeah, me too. You too? Yeah. You're never going back, right? No, no <laughs> I like to visit home, but then I'm like... 
I'm good. You're done. I, it's too, I just need more going on. But I like the West Coast because there's that laid back thing. Yeah. And I need that because I'm very laid back. Everyone thinks I'm stoned all the time. Do they? But I'm not. It's just my personality. Do you do any drugs? Um, No. I'm so boring. <laughs> Me too. <laughs> I do weed occasionally. Do See, the fact that I said I do weed should tell you everything you need to know about me and drugs. I smoke weeds. I do that weed. <laughs> Man. Yeah. How does that, does it, I mean, I haven't smoked weed and I'm so a sober guy. Yeah. I'm just a sad, typical child actor. <laughs> <laughs> just so sad. Too much, too early. Listen, you when you're young and you're working and making money, what else are you going to do? It's so true. You going to play the playground? No, you're going to snort coke. <laughs> The devil's danger. Good thing I wasn't a child star. Oof. I, you know, I have a, a sweet baby five-month-old now. Oh, congrats. Thank you. And I think, you know, people, I don't know why people ask, but they tend to ask it a lot. Like, if he wanted to be an actor, <laughs> would you let him? <laughs> yeah. And I, I say truthfully, like, I'm not going to be that dad, but mm-hmm. I'm going to do everything I can to try to make sure he doesn't. Yeah. I don't. Just, like, t- make other things as important. Like, yeah. this is a cool thing, but also museums. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Geography. Being well-rounded. Yeah. Not a 12-hour workday when you're 11. There you go. Yeah. Do you have any regrets about working? I'm going to ask you Please. the hard-hitting questions. <laughs> Just open it up. Do you regret, or, like, or not regret, was, do you wish you hadn't started working like that so young? I don't know. I mean... Uh, isn't it the canned answer to say, well, I wouldn't change a thing because I wouldn't yeah. be here with you, Fortune. <laughs> <laughs> and listen, you don't want that path to change because this is a special moment. God forbid. But, <laughs> you know, it, it, it's just if I went and looked back at 13-year-old like Chubby Josh in New mm. York City with a love of musical theater, yeah. do I think that he would have been flourishing in like a normal high school setting? Probably not. Yeah. So maybe this was kind of all that was for me. Right. I was a specific kid. But, yeah, there there's definitely moments where I think I would just love to, for me, my work is so much my identity. Right. Because it's all I've ever known. Yeah. So if that's not going well or, or excelling on some arbitrary level I've mm-hmm. created for myself, it makes me feel bad. Yeah. You know? But, I mean, I didn't start comedy until I was 25, and I still put a lot of importance on this, yeah, I'm always like work is pretty much my life, so I think it happens to you at any age. It's just part that this business, I guess, where it's like not enough to have one job. Everyone's like, "Well, what else are you doing?" I'm like, "Isn't one job enough?" Yes, and they're like, "No, you need five projects." How do you deal with that when they say, "What are you up to?" I just, well, people I don't think have huge expectations of me, so that helps. Says you. (laughs) (laughs) I lower my own bar, so. Come on, you're out Um, here killing. I was perusing your IMDb earlier. Oh, yeah. Thoroughly jealous. Oh, well, I appreciate that. Look at those credits. All I want to do is make people jealous. (laughs) Um, No, I just, I don't know. I'm. For me, it's always about steps, right? Like climbing the ladder. It's like you accomplish one thing. And you, I feel like, great, that's so awesome. I can't believe I accomplished that one thing. But then you're immediately like, what's next? Mm. I have it of myself. Other people ask. I don't know. I just am always like, I am lucky to have stand-up, I guess. Because if someone's like, 
you know, what acting thing you're working on? I'm like, I am choosing to work on my stand-up. Yeah. I, they're like, did you turn down roles? No. <laughs> but. but uh, it's all about stand-up right now. So it's nice to have different avenues because then you can kind of just be like, oh, I'm focusing on this right now. I, I hear that from so many stand-ups that I interview. Mm-hmm. And now that I have that I have kind of the social media and I do like um, like I'll do college gigs or I'll do kind mm-hmm. of a quasi stand-up thing. Yeah. Having a income source mm-hmm. that is not completely dependent on the oh, business. It's it's makes so much difference. Oh my God. Cause because you can control that. You're like if I am if you know, I'm a very specific type. I'm not going to be right for most parts, you know. So mm. during that time, you just are like, well, all right, I'm going to write new stand-up. I'm going to perform for people. And you can control it in the sense that the more material you write and put out, the more you usually get booked, you know. And so it's what's but what I've been focused on for like the last year is that. But isn't it interesting too? Like when I, whenever I meet actors, and they they could be people that have worked, mm-hmm. you know, but they're journeymen, have been in just a bunch of things, never yeah. the crazy star, right? But made a living, yeah. But I'll meet actors in their forties that have been doing this for twenty years. Mm-hmm. They're fucking kooky, fortune. <laughs> they're fucking weird. And you probably met a lot of people too. Oh my god, no yeah. families usually. Which is a bummer. Yes. You need that. You but, need all of that. But they couldn't, right? They didn't feel comf- like confident to yeah. start a family because they're like, I, I, got, I have an arc on CSI mm-hmm. right now, but I, you know, I don't know if I can pay my rent next year. Yeah. <laughs> right? I mean, I don't have kids, but when I found – I'm engaged, and when I found her, it just was like, oh, okay. Like it, it made me feel at peace because I was like – putting so much time into this career that, you know, your social life starts to suffer. But then you feel like, well, if I'm going home to someone and it's real and it's going somewhere, it feels, everything feels a little more complete in a weird way. Yeah. And we have dogs. That's enough. Look at you. I don't want to ruin this body. Come on. (laughs) I don't blame you. (laughs) I get that. Has your life changed since having it? Like, this is your first kid? Mm. Yeah. Are you tired? Yes. Yeah. It's a massive adjustment. Uh-huh. <laughs> I mean, my wife is more tired because she works harder than me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's usually the case. Um, it's so I, – I, I highly uh, recommend it. Mm-hmm. I love it, having a kid. I think I talked about it on the pod. Someone recently said to me, like a mother of two, was mm-hmm. like, you know what I always say? <laughs> Kids will ruin your life. <laughs> But it's worth it. Yeah. And I was like, I don't agree at all, man. (laughs) Yeah. I don't think it ruins anything. Like, Mm -hmm. I think it ruins shit if you are really still stoked on brunch. Right. Or. Oh, I love brunch. Right? (laughs) Kids may (laughs) not be for you right now. might not be for me. Like, yeah, if you're trying to have a boozy brunch. Yeah. Regularly. Or trying to go to like catch on a Tuesday night, mm-hmm. you know, or some, like, new hot spot. Yeah. Yeah, then a kid will get in your way. Right. But if, like, I I did it. I, I, there's so many. I've taken so many yoga classes. <laughs> You're good. <laughs> tried so many things. But, it, I mean, you were working at, like, 13, you said, right? Was Even it 13? 10. 10. Mm-hmm. So a lot of the things that you got that out of your system yes. a, lot, a long time ago. So I guess this makes sense for you. 
I'm I'm loving it. Yeah. Yeah, I totally get it. I, I'm on the fence. What What's your trepidation? <laughs> Let's talk it through. Oh, this will be my therapy session. I Please. don't know. I just never... I always thought, like, whoever I ended up with, if they really wanted a kid, I'd be like, okay, let's do it. Mm. But she's also on the fence. So we have two fence riders here. And she's a kindergarten teacher. She'd be, like, an amazing uh, mom. Wow. But I get sometimes, like, oh, I do like a brunch, you know? (laughs) (laughs) I do like my time to myself. It's more like I'm worried about the selfish part. Sure. And and that keeps me sometimes from doing it. And I tour a lot. I am on the road a lot. I worry about the guilt of that, leaving the home. It's hard. Because I'm still trying to make my way up this ladder, you know. I'm still trying to uh, make my fortune. And uh, it's, you know, it's a journey. And so I just have my eye on that prize right now, just trying to continue working. But that, yeah, and and I think that is what separates, right? Because for people like us, if you have this thing, like this Oprah voice in you mm-hmm. saying, like, just keep going. Yeah. <laughs> you, we have to make our stand. Uh-huh. God damn it. But, like, for most people, when they, like, wind up getting married and having kids by 28, because they're yeah. like, I'm a CPA, bro. Mm-hmm. Shit's not getting more exciting. <laughs> yeah. Like, at best, I'll make 30 grand more in 10 years than I'm making today. Right. And then 10 years after that, I'm a really flirt with retirement like you know your life how your life is sort of mapped out yeah yeah so then like little timmy's you know little league games become very exciting right you know building the family unit mm-hmm. but for us weird carny i know we're we're of a special we're, <laughs> we're, we're very special. special i know we just yeah yeah you just we're all just like here because we're trying to make it you know we're trying to what's that look do it what is that though what's that for you make it in quotes i don't even know what that would look like i mean i guess having had my own show at some point would mm. i think i would feel like i made it then <laughs> i don't know <laughs> but that's what it, the fear is right that you get that and then you're like oh well that's not what i thought it was gonna be like you know Ugh. Ugh. Just... i don't know why do we have these holes in our souls that need to be filled, filled, <laughs> filled. Uh, with this stuff? I don't. Uh, but, childhood. But honestly, I love this. I love being a comedian. I love trying to make people laugh and feel good. Like I really enjoy it, and I want to do that. Like it. It's not just about trying to make something of myself. It's just cool to like make people feel better. Yeah. You want to know what making it looks like for me? Yeah, please. 20 mil. There, that, that's the number. <laughs> Let me expound on this. <laughs> that sounds pretty nice. Right? Yeah. Because what I'm going to do, I'm going to put it in like a very nice money market. Oh, you're going to be responsible. 6% interest. Mm-hmm. Not too aggressive. Okay. Not too safe. I'm young. Right in the middle. You know, that's 6%. That's that's 1.2 million. There you go. What? I like that. Going to give 400 grand to Uncle Sam after some crafty accounting. You've been thinking about this. Trust me. (laughs) You're like, here is my Excel spreadsheet. I'm living off of 600K. Yeah. 700 maybe. Just from the interest from your investment? And I'm not touching the principal fortune. Yeah. That principal's staying in its office. Okay. (laughs) You know? Don't touch it. So now, seven, I mean, 
I could have a nice life on 700K, couldn't you? Uh, yeah. <laughs> yes. For sure. So. Get back t- to that yoga. Vacations. <laughs> I could, I can, yeah, a nanny, 100 grand. If you pay a nanny 60, 70 grand a year. Yeah. I get full-time help. The rest is yours. What a life. Oh, well, we got to get this $20 million somehow. <sighs> this is it. Hollywood, hello. <laughs> We'd like $20 million. <laughs> this podcast. I just called them. Did, what'd they say? <laughs> they said, uh, please hold. <laughs> bastards. I know. They rerouted us to a call center in yeah, India. It's, yeah, it's just a robot answering. <laughs> <laughs> So you talk about that hole in the soul. What are you kidding? Do you have it? Where does it come from? What no, is it? I don't really have the hole in the soul in the way that some of stand ups have. You know, I think I come from definitely a more positive place. I mean, I certainly had my share of ups and downs as everyone does growing up, and but there is something there, obviously, that's got a need to. I don't know get some something from people mm. in a form of adoration. <laughs> oh, I mean, we all wouldn't be doing this otherwise. You know what I mean? We would just be making our, you know, Linda laugh at in the lunch break room. That'd be enough for us. But we all clearly have some need to have that. And But I would say, for the most part, I'm a pretty happy person. I feel like... Um, yeah, even though I had some of those ups and downs, you sort of grow up and let them go. You know, you don't hold on to that stuff. And just like I wake up every day just kind of like genuinely feeling good about the day, feeling good about life. And I think that comes through in my comedy. It's very silly, very light, very, you know, just more looking on the bright side. Why is that so rare with comedians? Because I interviewed Delia the other day, mm-hmm. and he was saying too. He's like, I don't make any apologies for the fact that I've had a great fucking life. <laughs> yeah, like and yeah, uh, good for him. Yeah, I mean, and that's what probably allows him to be silly and light. And you know, it's everyone's got a different journey. I mean, the ones you can kind of tell the ones who have a bit more damage. It comes out in their comedy because it's a little. More raw, a little more angry, a little more. There's just like a grit to it, you I know. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know what his story is. Jesselnick. I'm sure there's something. Yeah. I mean, we've all got something. No one's had it completely perfect, right? But you just kind of. I think it's what you do with it. I mean, I my family was all kinds of crazy growing up, but you just kind of like. You go through that, you go, oh, that was hard, that sucked, that create, that made me this type of person, and then you take what person you are from that, and like, well, how do I make my life? Am I going to carry all that crap with me and like repeat patterns? Am I going to keep this damage from finding a healthy relationship, whatever? And there were... I don't know, probably patterns that I did carry from that. And then eventually you just go, why? What am I doing this for? Like, this doesn't serve me. This doesn't help me finding a partner. This doesn't help me be happy. And at some point you just let it go. Where is that? Is that natural or did you? That sounds like a good amount of therapy, though. I had a couple years of therapy for sure. Um, I mean, I'm all about people talking stuff out you know any sort of self-reflection is important otherwise you're just kind of like 
going through life being like, I'm perfect. Yes. Everything's great. And then you hit like 50 and you're like, ah, what are, what's all this stuff I haven't figured out? Not to say I won't have that moment. I don't know. But yeah, there was like a, a couple of years of just being like, oh, I get why I do that thing now. You know, I get why there was a time when I was like really into unavailable women. <laughs> This is why I do that, you know, and you just sort of have to break patterns. Trying to get a parental love. What's Yeah, you know. Yeah, just, we, been there. Just I get trying that. to uh redo what do they call it? Redo history. Revisionist. You're, yeah, where you're just like taking that same heart, the hurt or whatever you experience and relive it over and over again, but trying hoping for a different result is what they say. Uh how many times I didn't? I never met my my pops. Never yeah. met my dad. And I remember distinctly in my early twenties thinking, "How many men am I going to put in the position of a surrogate father oh, so yeah. that I'm infinitely disappointed?" Right. It was like a never ending disappointment loop because mm-hmm. no dude, no matter how good he was to me, was going to yeah. be a father. Yeah. No, he can't fill that void. Yeah. But eventually, it takes you being like, "All right, that sucked." It made me be this way, mm. but what am I going to do with that? What? How am I going to not let that keep me from having a good future? Mm. And then you do it by finding a person that's good for you, starting a family. Now you get to be a good dad. You get to be the dad that's there. You get to be you know, with your kid and rewrite that history and actually have a different outcome. Which is so weird. Yeah. I mean, I look at him now, and I was with him earlier, and I'm like, and he just fits in this cute little nook uh-huh. in my arm. He's so sweet. You want to see a picture? You didn't yes, ask. Yes, please. His name's Max. The- he, he's pretty great. Oh, Max is a good name. Good name. Shout out to my wife who decided it. And Max. What's up, Max? Max. And, like, here you go. Guys, I'm showing. Oh, that's I'm that really dad. cute. I'm not proud of it. That's a very cute baby. And I Max. Li- Thanks. I I love him already. Thanks. He's pretty great. Yeah. You did good. <laughs> Here you go. I'm showing Kristen, my producer, as well. I'm fucking that guy. <laughs> I'm not proud. You sh- No, you should show everybody that picture. You did that. I did. You were one half of that. 23 chromosomes of mine. <laughs> but I look at him and I think about it did give me a, a, a sense of disappointment or feeling badly for my dad mm-hmm. because I thought, wow, you missed out on all this. Yeah. And then that was accompanied with the thought of, I doubt you gave a fuck. Yeah. Because, like, my pops had three kids. Oh, really? And a wife. Mm-hmm. And, like... Like, I, a, he basically started a whole other family. He had had it and then stepped out on them. Oh, I see. Yeah. And had a one night, uh-huh. you know, hokey pokey with my mom. Yeah. And died with that secret. Oh, really? Yeah. Died, like, a while ago or recently? Recently, Uh a few years ago. Oh, so his family never knew. Mm -mm. Dang, that's crazy. Yeah. You're like, hi, guys. (laughs) It's not like you're anonymous, you know? You're (laughs) like, hey. (laughs) Do they know now, do you think? So... My dad was older, was like a, a, you know, a bit of a geriatric stick man when uh, he slept with my mom. Gotcha. He was 62. Okay. So he passed away of old age. Yeah. And my brothers and sisters are in their 60s. Wow. Or 50s. Okay. Dang. So 
I don't even know. Like, right. They don't seem like a Drake and Josh audience. <laughs> <laughs> you never know. True. <laughs> so, so, like, yeah. He looks very similar to us. <laughs> this is weird. Right. That's so trippy. It's that's a weird a, thing. That's like a movie right there. I won't write it. Lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> lifetime movie. You like a good Lifetime movie? Well, who doesn't? God. But those usually involve murder or something <laughs> like that. So that's a different That's a different story. I go kill all my siblings. <laughs> Retribution. Oh, this is for the life I never had. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's... I mean, that has to be tough. That has to be a hard... That is definitely a hard thing to reconcile because that doesn't go away. Right? It's always a little part of you, but it's kind of what you choose to, how you choose to let it affect you that seems to make the biggest difference. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, whenever I talk to people who had families, like a traditional, or at least knew both their parents, Mm -hmm. they think it's crazy that I never reached out or now have no interest in reaching out to my siblings. And then anyone who didn't have a dad is like, of course not. So yeah. I, maybe there's ways in which it's affected me that I'm still unaware of. Mm-hmm. But I think like the major points and then I'm weirdly like satisfying that need in me by being a good dad to Max. Yeah, which is most important. You yeah. Know? Did, you, did your dad ever, did he, do you know if he kept up? Like, did he know that you went on to... <laughs> Drake and Josh and all these other things. Does he know you were in the public eye, do you think? I don't know. Yeah. Like how would like how would you feel if you were like, My son is Zach and Cody? <laughs> <laughs> Didn't they go on to be is that the Sprouse? Yes. I'd be like, uh, hey, it's dad. <laughs> uh, I need some money. No, just kidding. Let me get that That's the worst. Money. That's the worst when they're like, you show up and they're like, I love you. Uh, also, I need $10,000. <laughs> <Yeah>. Can you <laughs> pay off worst. my truck? That's the worst. I need you to pay off my truck. In a, in a weird way, it's, I don't want to say better, but it would have sucked for him to have showed up and be like, hey, Give me some of that money. Totally. You know, and then you're like even more disappointed in this rotten person. It's also. I don't know if he's rotten. I'm just. He probably is fortunate, let's be honest. But he missed out. He really missed. And I'm sure when he died, there were lots of regrets. You think? Uh, There has to be. There's some, even if you're the type of person that totally just abandons a child, there, I want. I maybe I just think the best in humanity, but I think there is there you are having regrets for sure. You know, it's funny you talk about that awareness of realizing like negative patterns in your life mm-hmm. and doing the work to get through it. Cause I see some people that to me operate with impunity. Yeah. When I meet a six year old guy who still smokes and is fat, my hat is <laughs> off to them. I'm like, fuck man, what do you know that I don't? Yeah. Like, and he's loving it. And yeah, he's divorced. Right. <laughs> he's like, I smell bad. Yeah. I smell like cigarettes and cheeseburgers, but I'm happy. Right. Yeah. I don't know. It's Life's a mystery. And then you see these other really fit guys just dropping dead of heart attacks at 50. And you're like, what? Yeah. Life is weird. Who needs it? Yeah. What was growing up in North Carolina? What part of North Carolina? I'm from Belmont, a very okay. small town outside of Charlotte, North Carolina. Mm. Pretty like, idyllic childhood or 
I mean, it was like a pretty boring, like, small town, maybe 5,000 people. My town did not have anything going on. But it was it was nice in that it was safe. People knew each other. People were friendly. Like, it was a good place to grow up, you know. I got to play sports and be in Girl Scouts. You do all the things you do. And, um, yeah, I, I basically the people I started in kindergarten with, you pretty much go throughout school until high school. and So you just know everybody. Mm. But I was very much ready to get out of there. I was like, this place is so boring. <laughs> I am a big fish in a small pond. <laughs> No, I, did, I ended up going to a very small college as well in Raleigh, North Carolina. Um, Where'd you go? It's called Peace College. Uh, it sounds very hippie. Uh, it was a woman's college. It's now um, not, what's the word? Co-ed? Yes, thank <laughs> yes. you. Now it's co-ed. Um, but it was small as well, but it was kind of nice having all of that sort of small, smaller interactions in life. And then it gave me that desire to like sort of burst out and like, come to the big city and I don't know, try to make it. Um, but now like I really love going home because my town was kind of like dying. It was like so boring. There were no good restaurants. They, it was a dry County. Um, so no nice place would come because they c- couldn't sell alcohol. What, so dry County is no alcohol, no alcohol at all. Yeah. Nowhere. Not even like the state run yeah, liquor stores. Nothing. And so, no one, no, you couldn't even get a Chili's. Like, nobody wants to. Chili's has a great pina colada. Yeah. Chili's wouldn't even come because if they can't sell, I swear they make a lot of money. So we just, you know, it was all the, like, little mom and pop shops, but very dead. And then when I went to college, they passed the liquor, whatever it is, and my town has risen from the ashes, and it's this cute bustling town that a lot of Charlotte people are moving to. It's so great. There's lots of cute restaurants now, and it just completely changed. Turnt. It's turnt now. It's (laughs) like cute and quaint. I'm like, my hometown's pretty rad now. Boozy brunches. Boozy brunches. (laughs) Bloody Marys, you know. Belmont's where it's at. And what does... Uh, there are uh, um, other funny people in your family. Parents funny. They're funny in the like storytelling way. A lot of Southerners are big storytellers. They're you know gather round. Let me tell you about whatever. <laughs> and so I always like would hear stories, and they were very full of personality. A lot of there's a lot of personality for sure. My mom's a trip. She thinks Why? she's hilarious. My mom was just like never met a stranger. She could talk to a wall for six hours and not get tired. She's like, uh, I've been. I started a podcast and occasionally she'll pop on it and she just. I mean, I have to be like, we gotta go. Okay, that's it. Like she could just keep on. She's very like a big ham. I love it. When I do Insta, I'll sometimes when I go visit, I'll put her on my Instagram or whatever Insta stories and. She's always looking at herself the whole time, just being like, mm-hmm, yep, that's right. And she's just, like, eyeing herself in the I love in it. the frame. But, yeah, everyone's funny, but I don't think they could get paid to be funny. There's a big difference. Huge. People are always like, I could do that. I tell jokes. I'm like, here, how about it? I've given people the microphone on stage, and they're like, 
Uh, I don't know. Have you done that? Yeah. People like heckling you? Yeah, here, you try it. And they just fall on <laughs> like, their face. cannot do it. Those motherfuckers. That doesn't happen often, but... Um, yeah, it's a it's a hard thing to capture someone's attention for an hour with just a microphone. It's not easy. Do you want to put out a PSA right now to the community <laughs> about why it's unacceptable to heckle someone at their comedy show? You should definitely not heckle someone unless the comedian is like, "Hey, who has a job?" You want, or you know, unless they ask you a direct question, don't heckle. You, laugh for sure. Have a good time, but. I've had people yell my punchlines, which does mean I should write better (laughs) jokes. I'm like, if you see that coming, shoot, I should write, you know, they're like yelling. I'm like, would you just shut up? God damn it. it. But um, yeah, don't heckle. But in life, if you meet a comedian, do not, and I beg of you, do not say, tell me a joke. It is the most. Annoying thing in the entire world. People are fucking idiots. I don't ask accountants, hey, do some math. (laughs) Let me see the Excel spreadsheet. (laughs) I I just always say, I'm off duty. Or I tell them to give me $20 and I'll tell them a joke. (laughs) (laughs) So far, no one's paid me. D'Elia can say this because he's kind of got that like thing about him Uh where people will ask him that and they'll be like... are you or no? They'll say, "Are you funny?" <laughs> and they'll say, I, "I, you know, you better fucking hope so." <laughs> He's the best on social media when anyone talks crap about him. His comebacks, clapback, clapbacks. Yes, <laughs> they make me laugh so hard, and he can he can get away with it because he, like you said, he has that thing. Mm. Just so funny. Do you ever clap back at people on social media? Not a lot. Occasionally. Yeah? <laughs> Occasionally, but it's never, like, as clever as him or, you know, where, like, people are rooting for you. They're just like, oh, you wrote that person back. <laughs> okay, you- well, I don't do it often because it really is, like, it's like drawing attention to someone that doesn't need to have attention drawn to them. And at the end of the day, you're like, what is fighting with this stranger going to do? Occasionally, you'll get just, like... The only thing is that I, I, I let so much of that I, does not phase me, but every now and then there's, like, one where you're just like, ugh. Like, you know, I got a message from some dude who's just like, you're fat. And you're like, you had to just send, like, you just sent a message to someone you don't know just to say that. That blows my mind. And I look, and I did like look on his page because you're curious. You're like, what kind of person? Yes. Does that? I could never fathom sending a stranger. It doesn't matter if they're on TV or not. I couldn't fathom sending a stranger that message. And he's just like some guy in Vegas who's like, you know, trying. Like, seems like a nice guy from his pictures. And I'm like, that's so weird to me. I've had, but like people. The internet's weird like that because it is this sort of anonymous thing. I've had, like, grandmothers say really nasty things to me where, not like grand, like old, like, 60-year-old grandmothers, you know, where I'm, like, looking at their profile picture and they've got their two grandkids yes, in the picture with them saying something nasty. And I'm just like, man, I, like, worry about <laughs> the future of our humanity sometimes. 
I do that with the Republicans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> like if I see a Twitter feed, like a stream, because uh-huh. I love looking at the president's tweets and then seeing all the retorts. The, the responses underneath it. Yes. Yeah. The vitriol that comes mm-hmm. out. And then I'll see women who are literally, and not to be overly political, but just are so counter to the things I believe in. Mm-hmm. And I'll go look at their pages and then I'll think, you would invite me over to dinner. For sure. Your name is Diane or yeah. Deborah. And you you seem lovely. Yeah, in person you'd have a totally fine conversation, but there's something about that internet where people just think, oh, they'll never see this, or I can just say what I want. There's no repercussions from it. Someone called me a soon-to-be deadbeat dad the other day. <laughs> and I had to hold myself back from yeah. being like, who, and I, like, <laughs> all right, this is mean. But like, I went and looked at her page and I'm like, you're rough. You're like, rough. You told her you're rough. I didn't. I th- I didn't write it, and okay. it was good that I didn't. I would never. Yeah. I, I've done it at times, and it's backfired always. But because like, <laughs> I think you lose instant. Like the moment you write yeah. something, you lose yeah. if you're us. Uh-huh. But I just remember looking at her, and being like, "No, like you're me. Yeah. Like you're me in 2003. Uh-huh. Like." You ain't that good on the eyes. <laughs> like, <laughs> and, like, she's got, like, she's into crafts. Yeah. And I'm like, you probably like Stranger Things too much. And you're not writing her mean things. Fuck, like, not uh, not me. Yeah. I'm one of you. And I couldn't, I couldn't believe it. It's hard. It's, I mean, it's, you know, I, it's just, it's part of the job. You kind of, you learn to just sort of roll with the punches. If that is the worst thing that is to be from having this job, so be it. I get right. to do what I love. But, you know, you do, like, occasionally be like, mm, 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 okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, suck it up. I I have a really corny, like, thing that I tell myself sometimes. <laughs> I'll tell you. You didn't <laughs> hey, even ask. Sure. It's so fucking, I, and not to sound like this, you know, bleeding heart liberal, but I do sometimes, I think about, like, President Barack Obama, <laughs> like, <laughs> blazed more trails, <laughs> did more for more people. Like, like there's like homeboy, um, like left the White House and was like deuces. I'm going to St. Bart's with Richard Branson. Yeah. <laughs> like, I mean, the man could walk in anywhere and people would like lose their shit. Right. Right. Regardless of what you think, mm-hmm. and I'm like, and think about just the deluge of bullshit that he had to take on a daily basis. I know. It's all, I mean, we're in the most divided of times. And, you know, he was never going to win with a certain group of people. Yeah. And then, you know, but the people that he did speak to really idolize him, you know, and it's, and now we're in a different time <laughs> where, you know, it's the other uh, other end of the spectrum and there are people who idolize him and the rest of us are like, what? <laughs> you right. Know? So I just try to like... I don't know. Everyone's so divided, and I just am like, that's where I think my comedy got even more focused on positivity, where mm. I was just like, you know what? I'm not going to add to that. I, I, I speak up when it is something that I'm like, this matters. This needs, you know, my ladies out there need the support. This is happening. I'm going to speak up. But uh, for the most part, I'm just like, I want my comedy to build bridges. You believe this, I believe this. I'm not going to get into it with you. We're yeah. very much going to disagree. But just at least enjoy some comedy. 
Here's some, you know, stories we can all relate to. And I'm just trying to take that approach in life right now because, I don't know, it's crazy times, you know? But are you, not to project, but it sounds a little like, because for me, as much as like, you know, I believe in what I believe in, mm-hmm. both sides are annoying me as of late. Like, Oh, definitely the people, there are extremes of both sides where you're like, calm down. And like, I'll see someone like, you know, Trump will just do something very Trump-esque. Right. That's nothing new. And I'll literally see my peers be like, can you believe this? <laughs> you're like, yes, I can. Yeah. He did that last week. <laughs> right. Yeah, I th- it's it seems to have calmed down a tiny bit. I feel like the first like year and a half was just like twi- Twitter every day was just like minds exploding mm. of people losing their shit. Now it seems to settle in a little bit, but they're still like seems so shocked. Yeah, and they're like, "He made fun of this person." You're like, "Yeah, he did that from day one." But you know, you I've I find it, I guess it's that old saying: pick your battles. You know, where you're just like. If once he's doing stuff where there's where you, we all need to speak up, do it for sure. You mm. know, ex- express your opinion, fight for what you believe in. But if it's like, oh, he, you know, was a dick to whoever, you're like, all right, you know, yeah, nothing new there. <laughs> yeah, what um, if you had to roast him? Oh God, I'm the worst <laughs> roaster. <laughs> would you? <laughs> what, what would what would be your opener? I'd be like, you're mean. <laughs> <laughs> I would, that one has, I just did a thing called Historical Roast. That's, With Jeff. Yeah, it's yes. airing, I don't know, I think Monday on Netflix. And I play Princess Diana, obviously. Yes. Um, I could sort of roast as someone else, but not really. Roasting is just so weird to me. So even as her, I was just like, oh, I did a Mary Poppins voice because I can't <laughs> speak in a British accent. I was just like, oh, this is fun. <laughs> but um, I don't know. I think I would just, I don't think I'd want to roast him. Mm. Only because I don't want to, I don't want to meet him. I don't want to be in a room with him. Yeah. So I think I'd be like, I'm good. Yeah. Could you be roasted? Like I, I could, yeah. You think? I could. I, w- I think I'm too fragile. I mean, I wouldn't love it. <laughs> I know all the jokes that would be coming my way already. Would you be pissed if people, like, I remember I interviewed Lisa Lampanelli. Yeah. And she would say, the jokes that would annoy me were the low-hanging fruit. Really? Like, she'd be like, when she was, you know, before she lost all the weight, she's like, if someone would call me fat or mm-hmm. whatever, she'd be like, yeah, and what do you got? Right. Like, come on. Yeah, I mean, that part, I mean, I'd you would know immediately the jokes that are coming where you're kind of like, yeah, all right. Yeah, I'm fat. Okay. <laughs> I'm gay. Got it. Um, yeah, who knows? I mean, but if they were to be like, you you are the unfunniest piece of shit. You have no business oh in comedy. Oh, my God. Maybe I would be like, oh, <laughs> that stuff would maybe get to me. Oh, if people said, like, you're a deadbeat dad or you peaked at 15 or, <laughs> like, shit like that. Jeez. And you, I mean, I feel like when you're even more visible, you get even more just be, just from the, num, uh, the, it's a numbers game, right? The more people that follow you, know you, the more of that you're going to get, and that would be hard. Yeah. I don't have the level of followers that you do, so I just have it in little spurts only because I'm not, I have not been on television since I was 15 and continuously working, so... 
it's just a weird, yeah. it, it's a weird thing. And inevitably, like, I have to, like, I started doing all the social media stuff over the last five years. Mm-hmm. And it gave me, like, this great life because I started making money outside the business. Yeah. But it made me, like, super in the public eye. Yeah. But in this kind of, like, weird not as cool way because mm-hmm. you're a fucking Instagram comedian <laughs> or you're on YouTube. Yeah, but you cash those checks. Right. Freaking cash those checks. The Who checks, cares? The checks are great for yeah. I mean, they're not. I'm tw- not getting pay- <laughs> paid to be on Instagram. No one's paying me on for Instagram. <laughs> well, I'm just like, come to my shows, people. <laughs> Check me out at yeah. the Schamberg Improv. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, please. Please, <laughs> God. So yeah, but that gives you some again for yourself uh, control that you can control your social media, what you post, what you're putting out there, and so you're not at the whim of executives deciding whether or not to give you a role. Totally. So that's and, nice. No, it, it's amazing, and with all that good that came out of it, and I was like, oh, I have enough money to like be engaged, yeah. and, like feel like I could support a kid and mm-hmm. have this great thing, it also invites trolls to be like, what yeah. the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah, you're on Instagram. So is my cousin. <laughs> like, what, like, you think you should be proud of that? And I'm like, I bet I'm, I bet I'm funnier than your cousin. Yeah, tell him. Yeah, fucking <laughs> stupid cousin. And yeah. Then, I mean, I look at anybody that has millions of followers and you just look at any. It doesn't matter if they are the nicest person on the planet. Look in their comment section. There's so much shitty things said, and it's only because they're so visible, mm. you know, and there's just that need to be a, for people to comment. You mentioned earlier when we were talking about Twitter how, like, there are certain people whom you would have, like, in real life a great conversation with, but then mm-hmm. they get on the Internet and they get bugged out. Yeah. What was it like? Growing up in North Carolina and being gay, and did you feel any of that, or am I? Proje- is that like a Yankee projecting? <laughs> I mean, you're not wrong to as- assume that, but I mine was a little bit different, only because I did not come out until I was 25, mm. and I had I moved to LA when I was 22, about to turn 23, so I never experienced it out in the South. I don't know what it would have been like. I don't know if people would have shunned me. And it was a different time. Like, now it's like, you can look at me and be like, yeah, she's gay. She's gay, for sure. And, like, there would be never a time when you would have assumed I was straight, you know? Just that's the way I'm built. It's the way I carry myself. But it was a different time growing up. There were... um there there wasn't YouTube. There wasn't the gay shit. Like, Will and Grace. I know it sounds so trivial, but it makes a difference to see yourself mm. represented in media, in society. I didn't know any gay people. Anyone I knew who was gay uh, was going <laughs> to be like, you know, some man who's married to a woman. And he's like, this is my wife. <laughs> Isn't she beautiful? Ooh, don't touch me. Like, they had separate bedrooms. And you would just be like, well, that's weird. But no one was thinking like, oh, you know, he's gay. And it just was something not thought about as yeah, much or talked about yeah and so no one was like accusing me of being gay i wasn't shunned so i don't know it, it probably would have been hard but then i moved to la came out then and i had started doing comedy and there's something about comedy that helps build bridges mm. and so 
even before I was on TV, I would come back to my hometown and they would let me do stand-up shows like in the bars and stuff. And tons of people would come because they were just so proud that someone from home went to L.A. And in their eyes, I had made it just living here for longer than a year. Right. They're like, girl, you made it. Like, we're so proud of you. And so I'm lucky. I come from a very supportive place. So I never got any hate. But my mom is um, very involved in the gay community as far as, like, she's the president of my hometown's P-Flag, which is the uh, parents and friends of lesbians, lesbian and gays. Um, and they just, like, are a support group for gay family and friends. And so she sees a lot of that negativity. So it sounds like your mom was, like, a, like she's a superhero. Like, she's great, yeah. I mean, wow. she, you know... Again, though, it's like timing. Had I come out at 16, who knows? She might have been, like, upset or, like, it might have been a harder road. You come out at 25, you're living in L.A., you're kind of like, oh, okay, good for you. Yeah. Who knows? It's just all timing. And once I did come out, yeah, she – I think it, the first couple of years it was like, are you sure? <laughs> oh, my God. Pretty sure, you know, like I'm pretty confident. And there's just, I think it it requires your parents to shift their, like what they think your life was going to look like. Every parent, I think, has a, I don't know, broad concept of, oh, my kid's going to go to school, do this, get married, do that, have kids. You know, it's kind of like that, that, that. And they, and she just had to shift that vision of what Mm. she thought it would look like. Now, she says, when I talk to her now about it, she just didn't want life to be harder for me. And she knew that by coming out, it's harder. Like, suddenly people aren't going to like me for that reason alone. It doesn't matter if I am the best person in the world. It doesn't matter if I've cured cancer. There are going to be people who don't like me just for that reason. And she's like, I just don't want that road harder for you. Mm. Which I think is sort of, that seems to usually be the go-to parental statement, mm-hmm. right? Like, I just don't want things to be harder for my Yeah, kid. I don't want people to hate you for no reason. Yeah. And, you know, they want to protect you. And so I think her way of helping and, I don't know, protecting is by helping others, helping the kids back in North Carolina in the places where it is more conservative, help them find a safe place, help them feel wanted, help them, you know, she works with a lot of uh, the Gay Straight Alliance in high Mm. schools. So, you know, a lot of their schools where the principal won't allow them to have one. And, you know, there's still a lot of, um, I don't know, roadblocks that people kind of assume went away when we got, Marriage equality, they're like, oh, you guys are good now, right? Yeah, y'all are. <laughs> You're why, fine. Why are you still complaining? <laughs> but, you you know, when you are from a more conservative area, you hear a lot more stories about, like, you know, people, like restaurants not letting her group hold. Um, no. Uh, yeah, functions to raise money. They're like, we don't believe in gay marriage and we won't. Like, sh- there was a restaurant that, had said that she they could her group could have um a fundraiser there mm. and cuz they do that for different groups and they didn't know what P flag was and uh <laughs> we thought you all meant P funk yeah <laughs> so they were all like yeah sounds great they set a date she went back like a week later to 
get all the details sorted out. And they were like, now we know what PFLAG stands for. Jesus. And we don't, we're not available anymore. And you're like, oh, it's kind of like, dang. I forget that in even in 2019, that's still that's deep. quite an issue. Pete. I'm never going to that Chili's in Belmont. <laughs> no, Chili's would never do that. God, Chili's. They would never do that to me. No, they they love us too yes. much. Their sampler platters are for everyone. For everyone. God damn love it. Love is love with uh, boneless buffalo chicken wings. <sighs> so good. But, uh, yeah, you just, you know, I'm I'm proud of her for just being there. I get a lot of tweets from people who are like, I met your mom at you know, whatever gay pride or gay event. And like, you know, my mom hasn't talked to me in 15 years since I came out. And just like seeing a mom be so supportive gave me hope. It made mm. me feel good. Like I, they're very drawn to her in that way. Cause they feel like she's sort of a surrogate mom. So I love it. It's, it's, it's awesome. I'm drawn to her. I don't even know her. <laughs> she's just a, from what you're telling me. She's a lovely woman. I give her a hard time, you know, and make fun of her. But she's she's doing great things. Her group, they don't have much money. They, like, work on a shoestring budget because it's all fundraiser type of stuff. Like, I'll, like, um, every, like, year and a half or so, I'll rent a uh, float, a parade float for them. You can do that? You can rent a float. You can rent a float. Yeah, I call the people in Charlotte. They, it's a business they, for everything. They get a float, you know, for the pride parades. So her group oh, okay. rides in the parade to, to promote their group to just h- try to help them raise money and be a part of the. What's the float look community. like? Community. Lots of rain. It's always rainbows. <laughs> you know, you're just like, give me a float with rainbows. <laughs> yeah. It's uh, just make it fun. And they work hard, and I I try to support them when I can. What annoys you or what are people like I, I, my friend who's gay once said this, that when people go, oh, you're gay or you're getting married or what have mm-hmm. you, they'll go like, I think that's great. And my friend will be like, I don't give a fuck. <laughs> like, <laughs> even when people overly qualify, like, yeah, I'm fine with that. Be like, I didn't ask. Right. Like, is there any like what are what are straight people doing that are that fucking annoys you? <laughs> Please educate the world. Where do I start? No. Give it to us. I love straight people. (laughs) I have many straight friends. I don't even know. I'm trying to think. I I mean, a lot of straight people just assume all gay people know each other. (laughs) Well, yeah. (laughs) You know? It's like the black dude nod. Oh, they're one of you. (laughs) You probably hang out, right? Do you know Denise in Rhode Island? (laughs) I'm like, actually, I do know Denise. (laughs) Um, Providence? Yeah, I don't know. I mean, I it's so when you live in LA, you know, everybody's so used to the gay thing. I think they're a little more I don't know, what's the word? Woke. Yes. Woke. <laughs> woke. Yes. But I God bless my friends at home. They're lovely and so supportive and yeah, I don't really there's not a lot of stuff that annoys me. They're all very like, you know, how's the jacks, how's the dogs? It's all I I like being that person for for anyone who I grew up with who might have had a feeling otherwise mm. for gay people. I like that I can be a positive example because they know me. They grew up with me. I'm no different than, I mean, I'm a little bit older. and More famous. <laughs> you know, there you go. Richer. But um, I'm not 
much different. I wear jeans and t-shirts. You know, I still love chilies. <laughs> and so they know, they're like, I know her. I know what she stands for. I know she's a good person. If she's a good person and she's gay, it must not be as scary of a thing as people taught me, you know, in my church or wherever. Yes. And so I think as a gay person, all you can do is like with any situation, lead by example. If I help bridge that gap for you, I have parents come to me all the time. It's one of my things that I'm most proud of through getting to do stand-up. I have a lot of parents come to my shows in you know, whatever city that say my daughter, my son, whoever just came out you know, a couple months ago, and I was really, really like worried. I was really scared. I, I wasn't sure how I felt about it, but by watching you live your life on Instagram or, you know, just coming to the show, I felt better about it. I feel like my kids can be okay because if you're this way, it's not a mm. bad thing. And and that means a lot to me. Wow. That's so much power. It's yeah. it's just – but everybody has the power to be a, some sort of positive example, you know. I just happen to have this gay <laughs> niche, <laughs> niche or whatever it's called. <laughs> so you move out to LA. When did you start working on Chelsea? 2011, the very beginning of 2011. What? And did you do like 600 <clears throat> episodes or something like that? Did you write? God, I I was there for four years, and we did. I don't know. We worked all year round, four episodes a week. So I guess. What was that like in its early inception? Because what a special show that was. Well, I came in. She started it, I think I came in two and a half years into it, or two years into it being on the air. Mm. So when I got there, it was like at its height. Flourishing. They, yes. They were all like touring. They were. All, she was doing huge arenas. You know, it was like, holy cow, this is like the thing everyone was talking about. So that was really cool to come in. On that, wasn't there in the very beginning. You know, it takes a while to find that stride. Um, but then, you know, uh, I mean, I was just happy to have a job. It was I was broke. I was I had just done Last Comic Standing like six months before, which was my first TV gig. And um, I had been an entertainment journalist for seven years. It was kind of like my waitress job. On what? Uh, it was for newspapers and online, like LA Daily News and New York. Daily. Like, um, it was a one of those, um, one of those. I can't think of the word where you write stuff for them and then it gets dispersed to like a hundred newspapers syndicate. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <clears throat> and um, but was it gossipy? No, it was more like, uh, what are you working on? Tell me about your project and like interviewing. I would interview celebrities. Every, like every day on the phone, and they would just tell me like what they were working on. It was it, it was less about like who are you, it was never like who are you dating or like <laughs> we didn't care. We just like any, here's fun things these people are doing. Any good stories? Oh God, I met everyone, even people I've worked with since. I'm like I went to your set and interviewed you. You're like really? What? Yeah, like Sarah Silverman. I was like I went to the set of your Comedy Central show and interviewed everybody. It's so crazy. Come on, give um, us something. Somebody who was a dick. I know oh it. God. It's in there. Listen, <laughs> the only person that was kind of like, I don't want to say, well, he was kind of short with me. It was MC Hammer, and I was very shocked. <laughs> I was MC like, Hammer. why are you being a dick? 
why aren't you just stoked that you're working? <clears throat> but yeah, he was. Maybe I just caught him on a bad day, but he was not. It was on a phone. It was a phone interview. Mm. I had a weird um, encounter with Lawrence Fishburne. <laughs> Tell <laughs> I want to say it was it uh, was it one of the Matrix movies? I don't remember. Uh, but he, I asked him something on the red carpet that he did not care for. Really, I couldn't tell you what it was. I don't remember. But he looked. He said something like, "That's a dumb question," or like, "That's." He was not very nice about it. But then, and then I had this kind of thought, like, oh, he's not a nice guy. Then I was cut to, uh, a couple years later, I'm doing the Groundlings. I did their Sunday company. And he knew somebody and came to one of the shows. And he stuck around to meet the entire cast. He could not have been nicer. Oh, so nice. Larry Fish. So lovely. Thank God. And, you know, so sometimes you do just catch people in a weird moment. Or maybe I did ask a dumb question. <laughs> <laughs> no, you never. So, you know, it, it. I was nice to get to have another opportunity to, to interact with him. And did you start on Chelsea writing or on the panel? I started writing. I, I submitted a writer's package and uh, got hired as a writer. And then like a month into writing, they put me on the round table. And then that started doing all the round table and sketches. She just honestly liked to dress me up in tiny outfits. <laughs> yes. Make me do things. She seems to have her fetishes. Yes. Yeah, Little so, people. Little people, big people. Um, I was always in... I, I have a plethora of photos from that time period that on the TBTs, I'm like, here's another one where Got I'm em. like in a crazy outfit. Is the hope... Is it like SNL where if you start as a writer on Chelsea, you're like, let me get on that table. I'm trying to get some fucking I mean, screen time out here. I definitely... I wouldn't have applied... Because I didn't want to be a writer. I was doing the journalism thing, honestly, just because... My mom was a teacher, so she, like, really hammered grammar into me my entire life. So I just happened to be able to write. I never took classes. I just happened to have that skill. And I was like, oh, well, this is the way I can pay my bills. But I never set out to be a writer. So I really didn't want to be that. And so my manager was like, Chelsea's show is, you know, hiring a new writer. You should submit. And I... I was like, no, I don't want to. And she was like, kept pushing me. She's like, you really should because she puts her writers on TV. And I I did it. I did it with the hope of getting to be on the round table. How do you find out day one, like your first round table, that you're getting called up to the majors? I think they like they like pulled me aside after work and was, and they were like, Oh, you know, somebody had to cancel tomorrow and we're gonna we're gonna put you in. It's kinda like, you know, getting called up to the major leagues. Are you terrified? No, I was I mean, I was a little nervous to write because you had to write your own jokes and uh I was like, Oh, I just hope I can like write jokes. I didn't really know how to write jokes. And you just figure it out. But it helps being a writer there because then you know everybody. It's a little more intimidating when you come in as an outsider. I actually tried to get on the round table before I was a writer, and they kept saying no to me. And she was pretty brutal with, like, if you were mm -hmm. funny or something didn't land, it wasn't. you didn't really even get a great spirit. She was, like, yeah, not funny. She was pretty hard on people. But a lot of people always commented that she never... 
she never disrespected me. I don't know why. I don't know. Like, she would kind of go after a lot of people. Like, who'd she really? <clears throat> Joe Coy. Joe Coy. Michael Yo. Oh. Heather McDonald. She'd always, like, tease them the most and, like, be really hard on them. But she would make fun of me, but n- I never got it like the other people did. And maybe... I don't know if it was because I got hired later that she, like, the other one started from the beginning. I don't know if that made a difference for some reason, mm-hmm. but she just was always, I don't know, very, <laughs> a lot nicer to me. Is it trippy for you seeing, like, it's crazy because you and so many of these people, like Joe Coy, who mm-hmm. have, like, I feel like were, you know, on the panel and successful, and then, like, I don't know. Was that the launch pad? Because you like you look at Joe, who's like mm-hmm. crushing it so hard, and yeah. you've gone on to have so much success. Like it was a real launch pad for, for some sh- people, for sure. I mean, because she was putting people on television that other people were saying no to. Mm. She was seeing the quirkiness in people and being like, "I like that. I want that on my show." Whereas the industry was being like, "That's weird and different." I don't. I mean, I was I had tested twice for SNL before her show. I was uh, getting so- at Thirty Rock. Uh huh. In front of Lauren? Yeah. Fuck, what was that like? Two summers in a row. Oh, no laughter. Andy Andy came to the Groundlings, so I performed in front of him three times. Uh, It's tough. It's a tough um, audition. They they fly you out there, and my first audition, I had... Business? Did they fight coach or business? Uh, coach. That motherfucker. <laughs> oh. It's definitely coach. Um, Bad hotel? It's fine. All right. Not, not like some nasty. It's a de- yeah. It was a decent Marriott. Uh, hotel. It's Square. like a club Hill. quarters or something near the Thirty Rock. It's not a Crown Plaza. No, but you know <laughs> when you're broke and trying to get on SNL, you'll take anything. All right. All right. I only had 24 hours notice my first one. No. Yeah. <laughs> and wait. Okay. So you had ha- you had submitted I though. Submitted. Uh, I submitted a a tape. Uh, weird. Uh, this is a weird like full circle thing. A girl I grew up with in Belmont uh, was a sorority sister with um, one of the producers. Um, why can't I think of her name? Lindsay Shooketh. She was, uh, they they went to school together, and she was like, my friend's a producer at SNL. If you send a tape, I asked her if she'd watch it, and she said she will. I'm like, <laughs> there's no, you know, I moved away from Belmont, my tiny 7,000 people town. I'm like, ain't no way some Belmont connection is getting me in <laughs> right. at SNL. And I submitted a tape. I just shot a bunch of silly characters in front of, like, my kitchen wall or something. A couple months went by. I didn't hear anything. And then out of the blue, like, on a Wednesday afternoon, I get a call. It's like, hi, this is Lindsay Shookus. I'm, you know, I watched your tape. And I've been, we've been wanting to call you for weeks, but I finally got the green light today. And we want to fly you out to test for SNL tomorrow. They wanted me to get, this was 3 o'clock. Like I want you, we we put you on a plane tonight at no. like ten p.m. Audition tomorrow afternoon. <laughs> I was like, you're just kind of like, oh my god, oh my god, oh my god. You just like run on pure adrenaline. Like I, that was probably my best audition to be honest. So of like you just, you're like, this is it. This is my shot. You don't have time to get nervous. You don't have time to get in your head or overthink things. 
Right. You just I just did it. The problem was I gave them all like you you build an arsenal of characters, right? But you only have so many, and I've been building these for you know at that point five years, years. and uh, you just all you think is I got an audition, so I give them all every all the A A material. You don't think about oh this this it might not work out this year, and you might have to come back next year. And he's notorious for bringing people back two or three times, and sure enough, I had to go back next summer. Same characters. I had to do different ones, but they weren't nearly as developed Ugh. as the ones before. And so I think my first audition was way better. But he also got to see me perform at the Groundlings. He saw me quite a bit. And at the end of the day, you don't. I had a lot of people that rooting for me there. And I've been told I came very close. My agent now actually was their casting director. As soon as she left SNL, she called. I was like, I want to rep you. And so, you know, I know I made some sort of impression, but at the end of the day, it's Lauren's decision, and it just, for whatever reason, I guess, didn't resonate with him. But you also don't know, like, you know, like when they brought Sandberg in, uh-huh. not to minimize him because he's so talented, but mm-hmm. it was also because they were like, we need another white musical guy, because mm-hmm. Sandler had just left. Right. So... Part of probably Lauren's genius is that he's also picking spots. Right. So maybe for that season, it there was just wasn't like your spot was filled. Yeah. You know, which is yeah. You never know like w- why it works out or why it doesn't. I was, you know, I was. It was such a cool thing to get to do. I was. You're on that stage. You do five minutes of. Did they laugh? They did. They did laugh, but it's definitely a like you know those old school movies where it's like a Broadway edition where they're in the back with the the lamps and it's quiet and it's like that. And it's and they they prep you saying don't expect laughter, yes, right? For sure. <sighs> and they tape they tape all the di- auditions. I, th- Taryn Killam told me he has my audition. I think my first audition, but I've never seen it before. Oh, um, but uh, I don't know that I want. I don't think I want to see it. But um, yeah, you just everyone's super nice. But it is so ner. It is probably the most nerve wracking thing I've ever done because you, they take you to the dressing rooms. You you um, you're assigned a dressing room. They put you in hair and makeup right away. Sometimes my first audition, I think within thirty minutes I went on stage and performed. My second audition. I had to wait around like four hours and then do it, which is almost worse. You're like getting psyched out. You're like, oh my, you're overthinking things. But he's, Lauren is notorious. Like even if you get the job or you don't know if you have it yet, but he'll like say, come talk to me in my office and make you sit outside for three hours. That's what I've heard. Yeah. I never got to that point. What kind of a fucking mind game does <laughs> this guy play? It's but, not a- you know, it's a weird, it's a weird place. Like you said, it all... Is cert- like Mikey Day, who's on the show now. He's one of my friends. He he got several like five years before he got the show. He auditioned and was flown out to meet Lauren and met him, which is usually the last step. You meet Lauren, you get hired. <laughs> he met Lauren and did not get hired. Great and. Five, you know, however many years late, he went on to do other things. It really bummed him out. He loves sketch comedy so much, and that's that's the pinnacle, right? And he was bummed out, but you just move on. And then, however many years later, 
he got asked back as a writer. Um, I think Taryn might have brought him in as a writer. And now he's like one of their, you know, best cast members. So you just, it's all, who knows? So were you on Chelsea till the end? I left the, I left in February of the last year uh, to pursue acting. Yeah. I left as a writer um, because I had the opportunity to be in a pilot for Tina Fey. And, you know, you got to do that. You got to do it. And, Hell yeah. And as much as I, I loved her show, I didn't want to leave it. I had so much fun on that show, but you can't like work as a writer full time and be doing pilots and stuff. You got to choose at the end of the day. Mm. In a perfect world, you'd love to do it all, but it's just not how it works. So I had to make the choice. Like, if I want to do this pilot, I got to leave. And so that was a very tough decision to make. But I knew I really wanted to be an actor. And I knew that this was a special opportunity. And, like, it's Tina Fey. And Come on. Yeah, so I left do to do – I left writing on her show to do that. But I stayed on the round table till the end. And can you distill – because I think, like, Chelsea's such an interesting figure. Mm-hmm. Like, can you distill kind of – something that you observed in her that that was a part of her success or what was such a driving force? I don't know. I mean, I just remember back then, people, like, everywhere we went, people fucking loved her. Like, they just wanted to be her best friend. They wanted to party with her. She just, she created a show that was very unique and special, like, she got to be herself, but then she had all these comedians, and they all interacted with each other. You felt like you were part of something when you watched the show. And, like, there was such a rapport there. Like, no other show has it. Even, like, Bill Maher, they're, like, bringing in different experts of things. But those people don't really know each other. Right. You're bringing in people that are friends. They know each other. You're giving them a the platform to be ridiculous together. And people just loved it, and they loved her. She was, like, the... Mother of yeah, this the PT thing. Barnum. So she was a genius in her creation of something so unique, and she, what she did that other people in the spotlight don't do is she let other people shine, and a lot of people who get their own show don't want to give up the spotlight. They want it, it's their show, and it was her show for sure. She was a star, but. For half the show, she let all these other people shine. She's like, I know you guys are going to make me funnier. Like, we're going to do this together. We're going to bounce off each other by you being on this table. I'm going to get to be wittier. But in return, you get to be on television. And so she created something that that launched, like like you had said earlier, launched a lot of careers and launched a lot of people's um, familiarity with audiences, you know. And so she was very smart in... Her, um, in her graciousness of sharing the spotlight. And she also, like, I don't know, I watch, I think late night should be a half hour. Yeah. And, like, <laughs> yeah. God, and, like, it was just, to your point, like, it was just 
four funny people with her included mm-hmm. on the panel for the first 15 minutes. Yeah. Like a, what was it? A two and a half minute monologue at mm-hmm. the beginning. And then like a quick interview and we're out. We're out. I mean, these fucking one hours seem so antiquated. Yeah. I mean, you know, it was a perfect amount of time. You just got to, everyone's told us they would go to bed watching that show. So you got to right. like go to bed watching something fun and silly. And it was just enough time where you weren't bored. Right. You get to see funny things. You get to see an actor, actress, or musician you're really interested in. Boom. You're done. Yeah. So yeah. She, the show was pretty great. It, I miss it. I, 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 it would never exist today. She doesn't want to, she would never want to do it again because only because her interest changed. She was no longer interested in pop culture. Mm. She didn't care about She seemed whatever. like she hated it towards the end. <laughs> like, she visibly no. could not stand I don't know, the guests. I don't know where you got that from. <laughs> right. No, she and she talks about it now. She's very verbal about how miserable she was that last, I don't know, year, two years. Because she was just done. She Once she's done something, once she's accomplished something, she's done. She's not a type of person that likes to hang around yeah. and be talking about stuff she doesn't want to talk about. It was just hard to have it come to an end because it was so popular. But I think audiences did, like you, pick up on that hatred. <laughs> so there comes the point where audiences are going to be like, all right, well, if you don't want to be there, right, we're not going to be there. And, you know, so it, it came to an end. Natural. I mean, not naturally, but <laughs> it came to an end in a way where everyone was kind of like, all right, it's time to move on. Yeah, maybe we should stop this before Chelsea Handler punches out <laughs> Wilmer Valderrama. But she's so much happier now. I mean, she she's getting to do the career she wants to do. She's making her decisions now without the a network looming over her right? trying to be the boss of her. Um, all right, last question. Okay. This is what I ask everyone on the podcast. Yes. What are your one or two fortune commandments? Truths that you have discovered uh-huh. that you would want to impress upon someone else? Gosh, what would my truths be? The fortune commandments. I would say, I mean, as cliche as it sounds, being nice yeah. is important to me and it should be important to everyone um, only because there's so much negativity out there and social media is full of negativity and our politics are crazy and people have different beliefs and everyone's not hearing each other. No one's listening. And you're just already kind of going into things in life being like, I'm right, you're wrong. So just like finding humanity in each other, being nice, um, taking an extra step to hold a door open for somebody or say thank you or please. Like just little things do make a difference. I love it. So I always encourage that. And we talked about it earlier, trying to be on the more, it goes along with sort of the nice thing, but making an attempt to be positive about things. We can all get in our moods where we're like real dicks and see things in a little bit more of a negative way, but taking whatever life has handed you and just trying to find the good in it. What's the lesson in it? How can I grow from this? 
being in a weird way grateful for that challenge. I'm yeah. grateful for that challenge because now I'm stronger. Now I'm like this. And because I'm like this, I'm going to be better in the long run. I'm going to be a better version of myself because of, of that thing. And remember, Chili's supports gay marriage. Yeah, Chili's. <laughs> oh, Chili's. Baby back <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. This is the best. <laughs> that was it. That was Fortune. Very good. No, not bad. A pretty good listen. Why not? Listen, it's what I do for you guys. Anyway, thank you for listening. Thank you for your emails. Thank you for... Um, uh, I'm sure that you guys do good things that I'm not aware of and consider this a thank you for those things. All right. Have a great week. Love you guys. Bye.